Awesome. Thank you, guys. You know, it's, um, it's ironic. About 18 years ago, I preached my very first sermon, and it, uh, it came out of the psalm that was in one of those sayings, the songs we sang today about, uh, uh, do not fear, the Lord's help is on the way. And in that sermon, it, you know, in that passage, it talks about how the Holy Spirit and God is in us to help us to do things through us. And I was preaching on that passage out of that psalm and realized right before I got up to preach that I had not asked God to be involved in that process at all until right, you know, I got nervous before I got up to speak. And, and it's this week, God has been dealing with the same thing uh, with me. Uh, I'm sharing that with you guys because my goal is always to be super transparent about what the Lord is doing in my life. And the reason for that is because um, if you don't know this already, I'm just like you. I work a job, I have a family, life is busy, but I'm in love with the Lord. But it's, it's hard sometimes. Um, and so what the Lord, we're going to see this as we go through um, part of Jack's, uh, Acts chapter 18 today. But one of the things that the Lord's been dealing with me about this week is, uh, and I've shared this with you guys before, typically when I preach, um, you know, I spend time with the Lord throughout the week, but then I, take a, I carve out my whole day on Saturday and, and I write. Um, and that was about me. And I didn't see it until this week, until I got in this passage. I shared with you guys last time I preached that um, Luke told me uh, a couple of weeks ago, he said, or the last time I preached, Luke said to me, he said, Dad, are you preaching this Sunday? And I said, yeah. And he knew because I was studying so much. And he said, oh, I hate it when you preach because you're gone all the time. Right? Luke said that to me. And, and of course, as a dad, you know, I was like, here, pull the knife out of my back real quick. Um, and so that's been on my mind, but I didn't know what to do with that, you know, because I wanted, you know, this is heavy for me. This is weighty. I want to make sure that when I'm, when I'm before you guys, that I'm speaking on behalf of the Lord and not on behalf of myself. Um, but what God revealed to me this week is that that Saturday of writing was me relying on my own ability to write, my own ability to prepare uh, instead of relying on the Holy Spirit. So I did things differently this week. So this is an experiment. So, um, but as we just sang, God's going to come through. And, and so my prayer for today has been that the Holy Spirit would be revealed um, and that the glory would go to him and not to me. This morning, one of my Tozer devotionals said, Lord, give me the boldness to attempt big things for you so that whether I succeed or fail, it will be in a big way. So we're going to start with that tone today. So today today's going to be a great success or great failure, but either way, uh, it's on God. So all of that just in the sense of transparency, just because I want you guys to to know that we are all on the same level, okay? We're all just people pursuing God together. Last week, we, Glenn preached out of Acts chapter 17. Uh, he did most of the chapter, and we talked about a couple of things. And I wanted to, to take a few minutes to recap on that. Last week was very distracting. We had all the kids in the back, um, but welcome to life, right? Most of the people in this room have kids or around people who have a lot of kids. And so we're a little bit used to that in our normal setting, maybe not so much in church, um, but that may be a change that the Lord's having us make. Um, and we're going to kind of walk through this today uh, and talk about what it means to be the church. Um, and, and so let's look at last week. So last week we talked about how Paul and Silas um, were staying with a guy named Jason. They're preaching the gospel in the synagogues as normal. Of course, the Jews are getting upset about that. So they go looking for Paul. They can't find him. So they drag Jason out, the guy that he's staying with, um, and, and try to do some court proceedings. But end up, he has to basically pay a fine in order to, to be released from their custody. And we talked about how 
people's security, when we talk about what it means to be a church and we're, we're changing from what we know is traditionally to be church into something that God is calling us to be, that there's going to be some opposition to that. And not only are we going to face opposition, but the people that, that God is calling with us, our friends and our family that are hearing the gospel through us and learning about who God is, those people are also going to face opposition alongside of us. And that's okay, and we need to be ready for that, okay? Um, in, in the last part of Acts chapter 17, Paul is now in Athens. He's in the synagogue, as always. The Holy Spirit points out to him there's this statue to an unknown God. So we talked about how Paul is sensitive to the Spirit, allowing him to be led, pointing out things that are already, they already believe in their lives and using those things that they already believe to communicate the gospel in a way that they can understand. Okay, um, And, and what, what God wanted us to understand through that is that as we go through life, we talk about how for Paul there's no difference between sacred and secular, that, that, that we are believers 24-7, not just when we're at life group and not just when we're at church on Sunday mornings, but as we walk with the Holy Spirit, that's, that's supposed to be all day, every day, and that God wants us to pay attention to what's going on when we're at work and when we're at the gym or whatever it is that you do, whatever you, however you spend your time, that the Holy Spirit wants to be available or wants you to be available to him that whole time, okay? So we see that Paul finds some common ground and he, within the, the, the idols that the Romans were, were worshiping, and, and so he used that to communicate the gospel, okay? Um, and then Paul did something that we, ha- we, we don't see a lot is he asked them to consider their response, he asked them to consider and to weigh what they thought. And, and we talked about how some mocked him. Some said, well, I'm not really sure about it. Let's talk about it some more. And then others believed. And so we talked about the fact that when we share the gospel, we're going to get mixed responses. That's part of it. We need to be expecting that. Okay? So let's jump into uh, Acts chapter 18. And we're, gonna, we're just going to do verses 1 through 8 today. Um, I felt like that's all we needed to to uh, attack today, so we'll start there. Um, we're gonna, I've got a fair amount of scripture today. Some of it's going to be kind of rapid fire, so get your apps out, get your fingers warmed up, or if you, if you brought a Bible, get that out. Um, get your, you know, lick your fingers where you can turn some pages. We're going to start in Acts chapter 1, I mean Acts chapter 18, verses 1. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So when he says after this, he's talking about the, fact, the, the responses that he received. Some mocked, some said not sure, some believed. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And then when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. For now I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So i got about six points I want to make today out of this passage. And the first one is is that Paul leaves Athens. Okay, 
We see this over and over again. We're, Glenn talked about how we're going to see these same cycles repeated as we, as we study Paul's missionary journeys in the book of Acts. But Paul is in Athens. He shared the gospel. He got mixed responses. But under God's direction, he waited until God said it was time. And he leaves Athens and moves to the next place that the Holy Spirit is sending him, and that's Corinth. You know, a lot of times when, when we're trying to share the gospel with somebody and they don't respond in the way that we expect them to, you know, that God puts people in our lives that we have a lot of love for. And we want them to understand the gospel, but maybe their heart's not ready yet, and we don't realize that. We don't need to just continue to be there and pester them. You know, we used to say, beat people over the heads with a Bible. If the Holy Spirit's not working, he's not working. And that's not our responsibility. And so we need to stay before the Lord. And that's what Paul's doing. That's what we see happening here is he, he had mixed re- reception in Athens. And so he says, all right, Holy Spirit, where do I go now? And Holy Spirit sends him to Corinth. And the timing is really interesting. This guy Claudius was, was uh, in Rome. He was the ruler there at the time, and he, he cast all the Jews out of Rome, okay? And so Paul goes to Corinth at a time where there are a lot of Jews that have been displaced from their homes. Now, this Aquila and Priscilla, uh, that, that is their Latin names, which tells us that they lived in Rome a long time. They, weren't, they hadn't, like, moved there for a couple of years, and then they get kicked out. They were born and grew up there. That was their home. But Claudius, because of their Jewish heritage, kicks them out, them and everybody else. And so Corinth at that time was like the center of trade because of where it's located on the coast. And so there's already a lot of people there. Now he has this, there's this huge influx of Jewish believers that, that come into Corinth, and that's where God sends Paul. And it's interesting that this happens in this timing because obviously God knows what's going on. The timing was right. He sends Paul to, um, to Corinth, okay? So God had already prepared for Paul's arrival. I found this interesting this week as I was studying. Uh, several of the commentaries talked about Paul's disposition when he left Athens. Paul was down in the dumps. Things had not gone the way he expected. He did not get the response that he expected. Now, we talk about all the time about how um, our success is simply in obedience. But in our minds... If people don't receive the way we expect them to receive, we assume that we did something wrong, right? Well, Paul, I don't think that's where Paul finds himself, but he is disappointed. He's beat down. He's by himself. Silas and, and um, uh, who was the other guy? Hold on. Timothy. Silas and Timothy are in Macedonia, so he's, he's by himself. I, I'm sure you can identify with that. He's alone. Things didn't go well. They didn't go the way he expected. And so he's just a little down in the dumps. God, the Holy Spirit is aware of that. He sends him to Corinth, and, and it says that he found Aquila and Priscilla. And that word found implies that he didn't already know them. He was just in the city, and he heard, because you'll notice in the Scripture, it says that he found a Jew named Aquila, and then later it says, and he went to see them. You don't have to go see somebody if you already found them, right? If I've already found you, I don't have to go see you. What that, that Greek word found is talking about is he heard that there were this guy, Aquila and Priscilla, that were Jewish believers. They believed in Christ. And so he said, i got to go find these guys because he needed some community. So he goes, we've got some drummers over on the side. So he finds Aquila and Priscilla, he goes and seeks them out, and he finds community with them. He finds some fellow believers that can encourage him and help him. And, it's, and it was weird for me at first to think of Paul in those terms. We think of Paul, we think of Paul. One of the things the Holy Spirit pointed out to me this week is Paul was just a guy. He was educated, but he was just a guy, just like you and I are. And just like we get down in the dump sometimes, same thing was happening with Paul. Okay, so Paul goes and he finds 
Aquila, and Priscilla, and they receive him in. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. Okay, so number two, God provided work. All right, so Paul goes to Corinth. He doesn't know anybody there. There's not an established church. So Paul goes to Corinth, and God provides for him work so that he can, he can provide for himself, so he's not putting an extra burden on anybody else while he's preaching the gospel. This was significant for me this week. Obviously, if you guys know me, you know, well, I just told you, I work a regular job. And I also, if you don't know this, if you're new here, kind of the plan, the thing that God has, has spoken for us as a body is, is that at some point, Glenn's going to leave here and go plant a church somewhere else. And when that happens, I'm going to take over as pastor here. If you didn't know that, surprise. If you didn't know it, it's because you're not paying attention, okay? Um, but that's the plan, okay? And so this week, as I, I share my struggle with you guys about what my son said to me and trying to figure out how to do this well, because this is weighty for me, this was, I, like, I keyed up on this immediately. Because I'm asking God, how, how, how do I do this? Because, I, you know, I was talking with Bethany the other day, and I'm like, yeah, but I, I need, you know, I got to do well when I do this. She said, well, you're working seven days a week. That's not sustainable. Okay, you're right. I can't work seven days a week for the rest of my life. So I said, okay, God, you got to show me how to do this. Because obviously I haven't figured it out on my own. So I see Paul here. God, he, his goal, his purpose, his mission is to go in to share the gospel. But when he gets to Corinth, it says that he finds work. I always assumed that rabbis, it was like a profession. Like that's what you did. That was your job. And the reason that I assumed that is because that's what we see in our culture. You talk about a pastor, automatically you assume they're full-time, they're paid, they're paid pretty decently, they got health benefits, that kind of stuff. That's just the assumption that we operate under. And that's not true at all. What, what we see in, in Paul, what we see in all the rabbis is that work was extremely important to them. And their, their business came up through the family. And so whatever your dad did, that's what you did as well. And so the whole time you're a child, you're training for whatever that job is. And you're training to be really good at it. I had no idea. That was completely new information for me. Okay? So this idea of paid staff that we have is, is a fairly new construct in terms of the history of the church. The plan from the beginning for, for rabbis was that you work, you provide for yourself, and you provide for your family so that the church doesn't have to provide for you. Uh, one of the commentaries I, said, uh, I read said this, Paul made a point of conscience to work at that which he had been bred, partly that he might not be burdensome to the churches, and partly that his motives as a minister of Christ might not be liable to misconstructions. To both of these, he makes frequent references in the epistles. In Acts 20, 34, it says, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 9, it says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked day and night that we not, might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. And then it, that same idea in 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 18 2 Corinthians 11, 7 through 12. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 10. We see over and over and over in his epistles that Paul is pointing out to the church, hey, look, we worked so that you didn't have to provide for us. This is important for me, and it's important for you because we need to understand something. In our culture, we identify the word minister with paid staff. And what God is revealing to us as a church, what he's revealing to me this week, and I hope he reveals to you, is that we need new thinking. Let's talk about this. So we are the church, right? The pastor's not the church. 
The staff's not the church. We are the church. Me and you together. Us together. All right? For most of us in this room, we grew up watching ministry happen in front of us. Okay? You had pastors. You had staff at a church who organized, who did all the things, and then we just kind of sat back and reaped the benefits of that. Whether they were good or bad, we just partook in what they were doing. Okay? And, and it was set up that way. A lot of times, if you were sitting out there, you weren't allowed to make any decisions about ministry. One of the things that we talk about in new member training, if you haven't talked about it yet, you're going to, is that the ministry of the gathering place is grassroots. What that means, it comes from the bottom up. Never, ever, ever will you have an elder that comes to you and says, hey, I want you to be in charge of this. It's not going to happen because that's not biblical. I don't call you to ministry. God does that. Right? That's the way that works, okay? And so this is what we see happening in, in, in this story here, okay? There was, there was no sacred and secular divide with Paul, and, and we talked about that already. For Paul, when, he's, when he is with Aquila and Priscilla making tents, it's just the same for him as when he's in the synagogues. The task itself is different, but the mindset is the same, and we got to get ourselves in that mindset, we got to get in the mindset of when I go to work, whatever your profession is, it's just as important as when you go to life group or when you come here on, on a Sunday morning. It's the same thing. It's still you living out ministry, okay? So look, here's what happens a lot of times is we exclude ourselves from the calling of ministry because you say, well, God's called me to this job, and so this is, this is what I do. And what God is saying is I put you in that job so that you could share the gospel there. We have to get out of the idea of thinking that God hasn't called us to ministry because we aren't good enough. If you belong to the Father, you are good enough because it's Him and you that does all the work, not you. It's Him. We as a culture need to stop looking at celebrity pastors and judging ourselves and judging our qualifications based on what we see in them. There are guys out there that are phenomenal preachers. I'll never be that, okay? Because it's not me. I could try and I could work really hard and I could become more polished than I am. And I'm not saying that there's not value in trying to be better at what you do, but the value for God is not in how well we do. Our best works are filthy rags. Our goal is not to, to, to just be perfect. Our goal is to just be God's. And to be obedient to the things he's called to. In 1 Corinthians 1.17 it says, Paul says, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul knew, he understood. If I, and Paul was capable. He was trained. He had been to our equivalent of seminary. He could stand up and he could, he could have these philosophical dis discussions like they like to have in Athens that we talked about last week. But what that did is it took the attention off of God and put it on Paul. And these people would say, wow, look how great Paul is. Man, it's dude's smart. God doesn't want you to look at me or look at Glenn or look at any other pastor and say, I can't be that. If you're judging yourself against somebody else, you're in the wrong mindset. In our passage today, we, we see Paul, and, and I think we can identify with him a lot, because Paul is depressed. He, he, he had a hard time in Athens. It didn't go the way he wanted. 
Scripture points that out. But God took care of him. He put people in his life that could build him up and take care of him. Okay? I want to say this. As we, as we talk about what it means to be a body of Christ, I want everybody to understand that our only qualification for ministry is the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Look with me at John seven fourteen through 24. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but it is he who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks on the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. God used this passage to speak to me whenever um, I first felt like God was calling me to, to be a pastor here. Because my first initial response was, i got to go to seminary. And Glenn said, no, <laughs> don't go to seminary. But I thought, I don't know enough. And that couple of days later in my devotion, this pops up. And, and, and here Jesus is, and the, the Pharisees are looking at him like, how is this guy so smart? He hadn't even been to school. And Jesus is saying, hey, it ain't me. It's the Holy Spirit inside of me. Number three, Paul lived in community with Aquila and Priscilla. So Aquila and Priscilla are in Athens. It's where they have been born and raised. And all of a sudden, they're thrown out, and they go to Corinth. Okay? How many of you have moved ever in your life? Raise your hand. It's the worst thing in the world. There's nothing worse to me than, than moving. Okay? It's terrible. Imagine in the middle of moving, a guy pops up, and the Holy Spirit says, let him move in with you. Just, just let that soak in for a minute. Just let this guy move on in. Okay? That's a big deal. Okay? I, I, I ran across a new book this week. I, I, and first read Letters to the Church. If you haven't read that yet, you've got to read it. Phenomenal. Okay? Second book. Put this one on your list. I hadn't finished it yet, but so far it's been really, really good. I read another book by this author. Her name is Rosaria Butterfield. Obviously, she's awesome, okay? I don't, she's from somewhere else. I don't know. But anyway, I, I read another one of her books about a year ago, and it was phenomenal. And I ran across this one, and it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And it's about Christian hospitality. Right in the beginning of that book, she talks about opening your home and let people come in and stay. I'm going to be honest with you. I was like, whoa, hold up, okay? I'm going to let the Holy Spirit flesh that out. But here's the point. Hospitality is one of our greatest tools. Aquila and Priscilla, they... Paul comes in, they're believers, the Holy Spirit's in them, immediately the Holy Spirit lets them know, hey, you need to let Paul stay. Aquila and Priscilla become some of Paul's best friends. We see them mentioned throughout the epistles. And it's because they listen to the Holy Spirit and they open their home, even in the middle of all of that chaos. Paul just experiences this radical kindness. This week, Moravians has been walking us through 2 Samuel's, if, 2 Samuel's, 2 Samuel, if, if you read the, uh, the Moravian readings with us. Um, and this, one of the stories this week was about David and Mephibosheth. I can never say that name. David had a great love for Saul, the king that was before him. And one day, and, and he just said, you know, man, I need to bless some of the descendants of Saul. And so he asked the people around him, who's left? And they tell him about Mephibosheth. I don't know why I can't say that. It's too many vowels, I mean, too many consonants. Um, and and his, his legs didn't work. And so Saul, Saul, uh, Paul, David 
says, bring him in. And basically in the story, he tells him he will, for the rest of his life, have a seat at the king's table. I know you've probably heard that passage preached before, but for me uh, this week, man, talk about hospitality. Man, to sit at the king's table is a big deal. And he had no qualifications other than he belonged to a family. Radical, radical kindness. We see in Scripture, and we've, we've probably heard the hymns before, that they will know we are Christians by our love. Christian hospitality. I'm not talking about southern hospitality. Bless your heart. That's not hospitable. If you don't know what that means, check with me later. I'll tell you. Okay? doesn't mean what you think. I'm not talking about southern hospitality. I'm talking about Christian hospitality. Okay? And look, don't turn me off. I'm not just talking to life group leaders. I'm not just talking to the elders. I'm talking to everyone. Okay? Let me tell you how Rosaria lays this out in the book. When she's talking about Christian hospitality, let's say you've got life group on Wednesday night. Show up a little bit early. Life group leaders, you need to be okay with that. That's part of being hospitable. If there's laundry on the couch, fold it. <laughs> what a novel idea. If there's dirty dishes in the sink and need to go in the dishwasher, load the dishwasher. Life group leaders, if somebody needs to hang out for an extra 30 minutes because they're dealing with something and you need to talk that out, it's okay if your kids go to bed a little bit late. It's not about us. The gospel's not about me. And it's not about you. It's about the Holy Spirit working through us. And sometimes the Holy Spirit needs an extra 30 minutes. Sometimes the Holy Spirit needs you to fold somebody else's laundry. Sometimes the Holy Spirit needs you to be okay with somebody else folding your underwear. That might be taking a little far. You get the point. Okay? Don't leave until everything's cleaned up from life group. If you're just hanging out at somebody's house and they cook dinner, don't leave until the dishes are done. Even if they say, no, 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 I got it. What that means is I'm supposed to say no. Right? You've done it. No, no, I'll get it when you go. And they leave and you're like, oh, man, I got all this stuff to clean up. They just offered. Okay? Help. When you show up, bring some food with you. Not a bag of chips. That don't count. Okay? If you picked it up at a dollar. Now, my life group is different. All we do is snacks. You can pick something up for the dollar store. That's okay. All right? If you go into a life group and they got, like, themed food and it's tacos and you bring a bag of Doritos... Bring some food, okay? Now, if all you can afford is a bag of Doritos, fantastic. I'm not picking on you, okay? But be a part of what's going on, okay? Look, open your home to those in your life. Don't worry about it being perfect. In the South, you know, when somebody shows up to your house, it's supposed to be clean. That's, that's Southern hospitality, right? Mickey's over there. She's kind of laughing. You know what? It's okay for somebody to come in your house and you didn't sweep the floor today. Is that the end of the world? No. Can Jesus not work there because there's a little dirt on the floor? No. Matter of fact, he might be able to work a little bit better because there is dirt on the floor. Because then they go, okay, these people are not perfect just like I'm not perfect. We've got to get beyond ourselves. Our homes are the greatest tool that God has given us. And we need to use them. We're going to see in just a minute how, how well a home can be used. Right? There's two examples of great hospitality in this passage. There's Aquila and Priscilla. They opened up their home. Paul moved in. And, and get this too. Like, he didn't just move in. They made him a partner in the business they're running. Okay? Somebody told me one time, you don't really know a person until you've been in their office. You don't really know a person until you find, just meet them and be like, hey, won't you join me in business? Right? That's a big deal. You get up in your money, you're getting in your business. Then we see Titus Justice. No, I'm not pronouncing that wrong. So you know, I looked it up. There's several different spellings. 
But it's the same guy. Titus Justice. He hosted a church. Paul's in the synagogue. He's preaching. Jews don't like it. They kick him out. He says, no problem. I will go next door. And he does. Okay, we're going to talk about that some more in a minute. There's two primary places that churches happened then, that church happened then, and that church happens now. It's in the building, it's in the synagogue, and in this space, and in your home. That's where church happens. If you've read letters to the church, if you've gotten through it all the way, you're going to see that at the end of that, Francis Chan is really advocating for house churches. That's wonderful, okay? That's not the vision that God's given us for the gathering place. Yes, we're going to have house churches, but we're also going to maintain this corporate thing on, on Sunday mornings that we do because we feel like God's leading us to do that. If, if you haven't picked up on Glenn saying this before, we had, I don't know, about a year ago, we had a life group leader training thing. And what Glenn said, the challenge he put before the life group leaders was, I want you to pastor your life group. Okay, If you weren't aware of that concept already, your life group leader is your pastor. Okay? That's, we want that, that feeling to be there. Okay? But here's what that means. What that means is, is that as God calls you to be a life group leader, what are you becoming? A pastor. Don't write yourself off from that calling. Because in your mind, you're thinking, standing at a pulpit on Sunday mornings. That's not what a pastor is. A pastor can do that. But a pastor is simply somebody that shepherds a flock. You got love in your heart. You love people. Willing to put your, the, the Lord before yourself. You're willing to serve others. That's all the qualifications you need. Be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Sorry, I let my iPad turn off. Last point I wanted to make along with that is we need to put just as much emphasis on, on our life group meetings as we do on this time in the mornings. It's, it's equally, if not more valuable in our life groups than what we do here. And we need to, it needs to hold that weight in our lives. Okay, Number four. The gospel is not going to be accepted by all people. We see that last week with Paul in, in Athens, and we see it again, and this is part of that cycle. Not everybody's going to be receptive. Paul goes into the synagogue here in Corinth. He begins to, to preach the gospel that Jesus is the Christ, and it says they reviled him. They kicked him out. Okay? When we share the gospel as the Holy Spirit leads us in the areas where he leads us, it's still going to get rejected. God's not going to make people believe. He might be working in their lives, but when you start sharing the gospel, if they're not ready or if they say no, it's not going to work. And there's nothing that you can do. And it's not that you did anything wrong. Remember, again, success is obedience. If God says share the message, you share the message, you're successful. It's not up to you whether or not somebody accepts it. Okay? And, and this is, the, for me, the most important thing. If they reject the message, they are not rejecting you. They're rejecting the gospel. It doesn't mean they always will. But Satan gets in our ear and go, oh man, you screwed that up. You didn't say it right. No, they're not rejecting you. Don't dwell. Don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty if somebody doesn't accept what you're having to say. Continue to pray. Follow the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. Do what he says. Number five, we have opposed and reviled him. We. Hang with me on this one. When Paul went into the synagogue, he tried to share with them that Jesus is the Christ. They reviled him. They pushed him away. They said, no way. 
I want you to ask yourself, in what ways have I shut my ears to the gospel? In what ways have I shut my ears to what God's trying to tell us as a body? Let me tell you what God's been speaking to me the last few weeks, okay? As I'm, as I'm reading this book, Letters to the Church, one of the things that points out the premise behind the book, Glenn shared this last week, is when you look at the Bible and you look at what the church is supposed to be, and you look at what church is today, you see two very different pictures, okay? So when I say we have strayed from what the Bible says it's supposed to be church, I'm talking about the universal we, okay? We have also strayed, but I'm talking universally, okay? Um, or I, I'm listening to a devotional that's in the book of Jeremiah this week. I want, you to, I want to share some of these scriptures with you, okay? I'm not putting this on you. If you identify with it, you identify with it. I certainly did. Jeremiah 5, 30 through 31. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? Jeremiah 6.10 To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised, they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Jeremiah 7.23 But this command I gave them, Obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in the way that I command you that it may be well with you. Over and over and over this week, the same word, God keeps giving it to me over and over and over. Obey. That's a word for me, but it's also a word for y'all. Obey. Look, God calls us to things sometimes that are outside of our comfort zone, that are things that we don't feel qualified for. All God's asking you to do is obey. The church is in the condition it is because of what Jeremiah the prophet back in the day. The same is still true about the church today as it was about the Jews then. Is that the, the prophets are speaking on their own behalf. They're giving their own version of the gospel. They're giving their own ideas about what church and what it means to be a Christian is. And people love to have it so. God has called us as the gathering place to be that voice that says, this is not what we see in Scripture. And we're going to get some opposition to that. But we have to be obedient. We have to obey. Because that's how the gospel gets shared. Blackaby said this this week, to blatantly disregard God's word is to reject life itself. To obey God's word is the surest way to experience all that God has in store for us. We, we hear the word obedience and, and we think negative thoughts, right? That's where I go to because I remember all the whoopings I got when I was a kid, right? That's what I think of when I think of obedience. When we obey God, we're getting the best for ourselves. One of the things Francis Chan says in his books is if you've got a pastor who's telling you when you just give your life to Christ, everything's going to get better. You're going to have more money. Things are going to be great. He said, run far, far away because that's the opposite of what happens. You give your life to the Lord and you start being obedient to the Holy Spirit and what happens, things get harder, right? I was telling Bethany, I, I ran. If you, I, I'm a, this is a humble brag. Bear with me, okay? 
I've, I've been running a little bit. I really enjoy it. It gives me some time to get out. It's good for my body. All right, try to get rid of this gut I got because I passed 30 and it catch up, caught up with me. So I went for a run. Carrie was telling me about a half marathon that's coming in January because I'm an idiot. I was like, let's do it. And so I uh, signed up for uh, half marathon training and then went out of town for two weeks and ate horribly while I was gone. So it was a great start. Um, so I went for a run. Um, I swapped apps and things weren't working right. So I'm running. I don't have all the data that I'm used to having to tell me how I'm doing. And uh, I, I, my goal was to do a 5K. And so the first mile, um, I, it felt terrible. I knew I was running slow. Everything was hurting. Um, but I just kind of, I just stuck with it. Mile two felt okay. My body's like, okay, we're doing this. All right, fine. Mile three, I thought I was going to die. Okay. It was like, I, just make it to the door. If I can just make it to the door. Okay, I got to the door. Okay, that, that next driveway. Okay, I just got to get to the next driveway. It was one of those. All right. So I do that, I, I, I get the 5K done, I'm like, man, this is going to be terrible. And so I, I get my phone out of my pocket and I pull it up. It's the second fastest 5K I've ever run. This was my splits. A split is each chunk, so each mile. Okay, my first mile, humble brag, 10, 10 and a half minutes. Okay, that's not great. All right. Second mile was 10 minutes, something like that. No, I got the numbers wrong. Anyway, I was 30 seconds faster my second mile. I was a full minute faster than my second mile and my third mile. When things were the hardest, I thought I was doing the worst. I was doing my very best. Look, as we walk, and, and I got home, I was like, I told Bethany, I was like, this is a great illustration. When life seems to be the hardest and we feel like we're doing our absolute worst, we're probably doing our very best because we're working at it as hard as we possibly can. Not that, don't misunderstand me, it's not about us working hard. But it is about us trying hard to be obedient to what God's called us to do. There's going to be a struggle. It's going to be real. And that's why we need community. That's why Paul needed Aquila and Priscilla. He needed some people in his life that could love on him, that could encourage him and say, I know it's hard, but man, just stick at it. It's going to turn out well. John 14, 21 says this, whoever keeps my commandments, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. God's call to our church, to the church, is and was and will always be to know him and obey him. We know him by studying his word, by spending time with him. That's how we come to know the Holy That's how we know God. That's how we learn to hear the Holy Spirit is by spending time with him. That is how we become the church. We become the church by listening, by paying attention, by studying God's word and obeying what he tells us to do. That's how we become the church. But in order to do that, we have to be willing to give up what we know and what we like for God's call. We have to give up our comfort. We have to give up our time. We have to give up our resources in order to be the church that God's called us to be. Tozer said this, Much of what passes for Christianity today is the brief, bright effort of the severed branch to bring forth fruit in its season. Think about that for a minute. It's the fruit of a severed branch. This week I, I read again in 2 Samuel the story of Uzzah and the ark. I don't know if you remember this story or not, but David is moving the ark 
and it's on a wagon with oxen. God has said very clearly that no one is to touch the ark. They're dancing, they're celebrating, they're excited about the ark coming back. The, the, the cart hits a hole and the ark begins to fall. So Uzzah does a good thing. He catches it so it doesn't fall. Immediately God kills him. I've always been baffled by that story. I didn't understand why God would kill Uzzah for doing a good thing. Just because it's a good thing, if it's the opposite of what God says, it's not a good thing. Uzzah was trying to do a good, in, a good thing, but in order to do that, he had to disobey God. Our obedience to God is far more important than what we think is good. But we, we, we can't see that always. We've got to be willing to learn new things about who God is. Right? We have to relearn what it means to be the church. And that means we're going to hear information that sounds new and sounds strange. And we need to weigh that stuff. Don't just accept it because somebody says it. Pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit. But we've got to be willing to learn. We've got to be willing to be stretched and to think and to pray. Learning can be hard and it can be uncomfortable, but it's what's, what's required. It's what's best for us, okay? Number six, last point. We can only lead people to Christ when we are following the Holy Spirit. You can't take somebody where you're not headed. If we're not pursuing the Holy Spirit, we can't take somebody to Him. When we learn to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, even the most likely, unlikely people are going to find God. In this story... So, Paul's in the church, the Jews kick him, or in the synagogue, the Jews kick him out. He goes next door to, to Titus Justice's house. They start a church there. And at the end of that passage, I hope you didn't miss it, the leader of the synagogue was saved, him along with his entire family. The place that just kicked him out, the guy in charge of that, because Paul listened to the Holy Spirit, he did some things that were different, from what the Jews knew to be traditional and what they knew to be church, because Paul obeyed the Holy Spirit, the person who was the most unlikely to receive the gospel, he and his entire family received it because Paul obeyed. Even though Paul faced a huge amount of opposition, he's been imprisoned, he's been beaten, all that opposition is in front of him. He continued to follow the Holy Spirit, and as a result of that, the gospel is being spread to those who are ready to receive it. These things only happen when we collectively as a body and individually pursue God daily. Moment by moment, listening to the Holy Spirit, asking His for direction. That's the only time this thing can happen. In two of my readings on Monday morning, um, this passage popped up, and it's been my prayer all week. As I have prepared for this and, and then just on my own time, just getting before the Lord, this has been my prayer. And I think it's really fitting for us to end this, with this today. As we spend time alone with God and His Word this week, let this be your prayer, okay? God can change us, but only if we allow the Holy Spirit to do it. Psalm 119.18 says this, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. As we get alone with the Lord spend time in the Word, He is going to open our minds and our hearts to receive these new things, 
to be able to do church in a way that we haven't always done it before. God has a call for you on your life that's going to be outside the realm of what you ever imagined. But you have to be able to receive that. And the only way you're going to receive it is by getting in the Word and letting the Lord work that in you. Okay, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your, your faithfulness and for your commitment to us. God, that, it, that even though we uh, often find ourselves in a place of failure, that we always can come right back to you. And we always know that we can trust you and that you love us and that you care for us. Father, I ask that this week as we spend time together in life groups and as we spend time alone, Lord, that you would open up our minds in the areas where we're closed and the areas where we don't think that things can happen because they've never happened that way before. Father, as we pray about what it means for us to do church together, as we pray about how to do children's ministry in this church, as we pray about how to do youth ministry, as we pray about how to do life groups, Father, I ask that we would be led by your Holy Spirit and not by our own ideas, not by our past and not by our history, but by you. God, as we engage this community where you have placed our church, Father, I ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to do ministry in a new way. God, I pray that you would allow us to love your people the way that you do. Father, you would allow us to get ourselves out of the way so that you can be who you are through us. Father, I pray that, that you would move us in such a way that central Louisiana would know that we are yours by the way that we love 